forgiveness. Why don't we begin with prayer? Father, we thank you that you give us opportunity to be in this very place and to participate together, even, even virtually through worship. I pray that you give faith and clarity of vision to each of those who uh, are, are within this worship, to all of us. Of course, with the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit ministering to us as we receive the fullness of that Spirit, not only today, but in each day of our life. We pray for uh, our hearts to be focused heavenward as we look to you because we know that you are God. You, you are powerful. You are real in our lives, and we thank you. We, we worship you. We honor you. We adore you, and we just lift your name up, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I want to bring a message this, this morning that hopefully help us to focus on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think of God, you think of God the Father. You may even think of God the Son. But how many of us make a concerted effort to think about God the Holy Spirit? It is God as one but yet three. Now, the kind of the simplicity of it without watering down the theological understanding of of God himself in the Trinity, think of it as three functions. You've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each one has a different function in our life, but yet at the same time, it is all God. Very important that we recognize three in one. How many of us spend time praying, dear Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit that it shall be created and be renewed on the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of your Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, how many of us intentionally pray to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not to create judgment or to make you feel ashamed. It's to bring the awareness of the importance of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three function as God, but very important as we understand the role of God in our life, the presence of God in our life. And so in Luke chapter 11, in verses 11 through 13, just a little snippet of the entire chapter begins in Luke chapter 11 with the prayer, the model prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And then in verses 11 through 13, and I'm going to back up to verse 9, says, So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, as we Look at another scripture in John chapter 15, in the latter part of that chapter, 
it gives us a little bit of a clue of what Jesus is kind of preparing his disciples about as well as teaching all of us as well. In verse 26, he says to his disciples in the context of where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if the branches are to be nourished and stay alive, they have to stay connected to the vine. They understood the connection between the believer and Jesus. Then Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to leave this earth, but I am not leaving you by yourselves. I'm going to give to you a counselor. And in verse 26, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So we see one of the parts of the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In John chapter 16, it begins again speaking of, of where Jesus is talking about the counselor. And in verse 6, he says, Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. It is for your benefit that a rest will be made. I will be crucified. I will be put in the tomb. And it is for your benefit that I will rise again. It is for your benefit that I will ascend back to the Father because if these things do not happen, you are not going to receive what I'm talking to you about because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because they, I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, how do you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Good question, isn't it? It's a question that we probably all ask at some point in our life. We're not talking about anything crazy here. We're talking about how, how do you know the Spirit of God is active in your life? Well, a good indication is this. You know the, the picture you used to have of a little devil on your shoulder and a little angel on the other shoulder? And you're trying to make a decision. And as a believer, you're saying, do I do this? And something inside you says no. And then you, then you have the thoughts, well, no one's looking. What does it matter? Uh, I can get away with it. I can do this thing. It looks like it's going to be fun. And then you're still going back and forth. No, 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 no. Well, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. That's what, when God says, he's whispering in your ear, into your subconscious, into your spirit, and says, listen to me. The Holy Spirit has come into your life to reveal to you truth. And if you do anything other than truth, then you're going against what the purpose of the Holy Spirit in you is about. And so it's important if you and I are to be full of His Spirit, we must as well have the confidence, we must have the, uh, the, the wherewithal about us to, to seek, to search, to knock, and to keep asking 
what God is going to do in and through our lives as you go back to the passage of Luke chapter 11. So this message is not a profound message, but it may be a message that helps us be reminded of God the Father, who He is, God the Son, for who He is, and God the Holy Spirit, for who He is. Jesus is giving us, obviously, a lesson on prayer because in the context of Luke chapter 11, it's about the Lord's prayer. And then he says, search, knock, keep on, keep on praying, be persistent in prayer. The emphasis is on persistence. And he gives this emphasis as a, a memorable parable, a series of promises within that chapter. And then he closed the lesson with encouragement to seek the highest and the best that you can have through the function of prayer. If our Lord himself says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more whom God is not of evil can give you the good gifts if you ask him? The key is asking. I remember as a child going down the grocery store aisle and this beautiful candy strip appears in front of me and I want it. And so there's no way I'm going to get it if I don't at least ask for it. And it doesn't mean I'm going to get it, but I'm not going to have the opportunity to receive it unless I ask for it. Hey, Mom, can I have this candy? A lot of times, sure. It's only a couple pennies. Yeah, not today, but it was then. <laughs> it's only a little bit, and you get it. Well, if you and I are seeking something, we've got to eventually ask God for it. We're not going to receive unless we ask. God expects us to ask. We're not bugging him. We're not, we're not intruding upon him. We're not boring him. He's expecting us to ask. And one of those questions, obviously in the midst of the context of this passage, is that he's, he's warning the disciples to know if you want the guidance and the direction of God in your life, if you want the invisible to guide you through the visible, if you want to see all things that seem impossible become possible, if you're wanting to see through the midst of that you cannot see, then you're going to have to ask me. And the Holy Spirit is going to be within you to guide you through the process of life. It's going to be an empowerment of Christian living. It's going to be about the Holy Spirit moving us in the direction that he wants us to go. And we're not going to have it unless we ask him. If you and I together agree we're powerless and we're not asking God for that power, then we've got it. We've just realized what we need to do, and it's ask him. Father, today I don't feel like me. I don't feel like I can move through this experience I'm going through. I'm asking you, Father, to give me the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can walk through the threshold of that unknown, that I can face whatever I've got to face today with great joy instead of great fear. We're not going to have that type of release of power unless we ask him. So to understand the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you've got to ask God first for that spirit 
to control your life. Now, the statement that the Lord encourages us and affirms us is true of God where we ask of him the highest and the best, and that's the Holy Spirit himself. These words that Jesus gives us serves as a corrective for the prayer life of the believer. We should read them often, and we should seek to evaluate where we are in our own prayer life and what we're doing in prayer and how we're praying and what we're praying about. They should cause us to ask, have I been seeking the best that God can give me through prayer? And what is the best? The Holy Spirit is the best. Now, if you have a great need, you might say, it's the answer to that prayer that I've asked for is the best. But no, it's not. The best through whatever you pray for is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about praying for the best and what it involves. Praying for the best is first based on our confidence in the Father. It is based on the confidence that we have in the Father. Underlying this, under, under this statement or statements that Jesus makes is a great assumption. Jesus is assuming that the earthly relationship between a father and their children is a reflection between the relationship of God and his earthly family. The heavenly father whom we know will do all things that seem to be impossible to us, he can turn in to make possible. But yet our earthly fathers are run up against a challenge because they're limited. We as fathers and mothers are limited. We can't do the impossible sometimes. We can't, we can't accomplish the things that we would like to accomplish. It is beyond our scope. And sometimes children get disappointed. But yet at times, children look to their mothers and fathers and say, hey, you can do anything. Well, you, can, you can build this great tree house. You can give me the best bicycle. You can do amazing things. So I'm asking you. But we have confidence in our Father. In order to pray, when you bow your head, you close your eyes, you got to know that your Father can do anything in accordance to His will, our will being aligned with His, that He can do whatever we ask Him. We've got to have the confidence to know that he knows more about us before we ever ask him. We've got to know and have the confidence confirmed within us that the relationship that we have with the Father is not going to change. God is not going to say, I love you more today than I did yesterday, and I'm not going to love you in two weeks because you're not the kind of child I want you to be. You're no longer my kid. He's not going to do that. We have the confidence to know that we are securely His, that we are always His children. We may fail Him, but He will never fail us. We've got to know that. So we have, first of all, in thinking of this confidence of praying for the best is based on the confidence we have in the Father. Now, this confidence confirms a couple of things. And this is the exciting part about it is that we have the confidence in God's character. Now, Every one of us, if we hang around one another long enough, are going to disappoint one another. You know why? Because we, we're going to 
we're going to go out on the highway and we're going to be those horn blowers when someone cuts us off. We're, we're going to fail you. We're going to fail each other. We're going to say something or do something that we realize, okay, it's not a great reflection of what you believe. We know that. It's just one of those things, but we have confidence that the character of God is always pure. The character of God is always holy, like we sung about this morning. The character of God is always righteous. The character of God is always, always pure, and it is full of truth. It is never going, the character of God will never lead us down a path of unrighteousness. And so we have the confidence to know that, the, I mean, the, the, the basis of our confidence in the Father is the confidence knowing God's character will always remain. It will never disappoint. Jesus draws a deliberate contrast between the character of a heavenly father and the character of an earthly father. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, he recognizes the fact, Jesus recognized that every father is flawed in character. That character is tainted by the presence of the sinful nature that is within us. And yet it shows up in relationship to our children. And we pass on some of that even to our children. Yet in spite of this selfish bent that's within all of us, mothers and fathers, yet Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, all three in one, knows that the best possible solution is for our will and our life to be aligned unto the character of who God is transplanted within us. It's like going to the doctor and saying, I don't like my DNA. And the doctor says, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to change your DNA. You are who you are. There's nothing that I can do. Now, I can give you drugs that's going to make you feel like you're going to change, or I may give you a vaccination that they think is going to make some DNA change, but I'm, I can't do it. But I can tell you this. If you go to the great physician and you ask that question of your heavenly father and say, I don't like the DNA of my sinful nature and I want it to be changed because I can't save myself. Lord, I am a sinner. Please come live within me. He's going to transfer his character of his DNA into the spiritual character of our DNA and he's going to rework it and he's going to change it and he's going to make us brand new. All things are new in Christ. He's going to rework the spiritual DNA so that our character becomes more in line with his. That is something that can happen. And the great physician is willing to do that. So how much more will our heavenly father give to those who ask? If your earthly father, knowing that that earthly father is bent on a sinful nature, knows how to give good gifts, how much more whom the heavenly father is not bent upon selfish nature, he is pure in holiness, righteousness, and justice. If he is in, in all of that pure, how much more will our heavenly Father give to you who ask him? Knock, the door will eventually become open. Search and you will find. You keep on being persistent and the heavenly Father will open the floodgates. And what are you asking for? Father, I'm powerless. I need the Holy Spirit's fullness into my life so that I can do what I'm called to do, that I can be what I am designed to be because you have created me for a purpose and I need the fullness of your Holy Spirit to accomplish that purpose. It's saying to God, I can't do it without you. 
and I need the fullness of your spirit in my life every day. If you ask for that, the scripture says you will receive it. That is in line with God's will. You don't have to question, well, is this a selfish prayer? No, it's not a selfish prayer. It is something you can ask for and God will meet that prayer. Why? Because it is in line with his character. And so second of all, this confidence is confirmed in the fact that, that we have confidence in God's willingness. God is willing to give us what we ask him. Again, you ask him for a million dollar home, you may not get that. But you ask him for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his kingdom's work, he's going to give that to you. Why is that? Because he wants us to accomplish his kingdom's work. He wants us to be in his purpose. He wants us to be in his ministry. He wants us to serve him with all our heart, with all our being, to love him with everything we have. It is his will for us to do that, and he will give us that. It is the confidence in God's willingness to give us those things we ask him in line with his will. And the Holy Spirit, the fullness of that Holy Spirit is in line with that will. So when we approach God, we seek him for his best. And we have confidence that as we approach him, the one who is perfect, the one who is loving, the one who is good in character, is also willing to give this divine character to us, this divine work to us, this divine moment of his presence and power of himself in the Holy Spirit to us. He goes on to say, if a son shall ask for bread, you know, your father's not going to give you a stone. Even though it looks like a loaf of bread, he's not going to be that cold-hearted to give you a stone to break all your teeth. He's not, if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a scorpion that's going to sting you and kill you. No, if you shall ask for an egg, he will give, he's not going to give you that scorpion. Again, no father would mock the need of his child by giving him the opposite of what that child needs. That would be harmful. So there's great assumption here that if the father, earthly father, is willing to do that for his child, how much more? will our heavenly Father give to his children? We are limiting ourselves by not asking God of the things that we need. Again, in line with his will, staying inside his heart. I'm not talking about the material things. I'm not talking about the financial blessings. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm talking about spiritual dynamics that affect the DNA of each of us every day spiritually. More and more, we, we, we grow to the influence of our father. You know, you think about earthly fathers and children. That's the same as true. Our children are an influence of who we are. You are an influence of who you are. And you pass that along generation to generation. So if we're that connected to the Heavenly Father, guess what? We are influencing as we continue to mature more and more the influence of our Father, our Heavenly Father. So our praying involves confidence in our Father, confidence in His character and confidence in His willingness to meet what we ask Him. 
Now, go back to the idea of praying for the best. We said, first of all, it's based on our confidence in the Father. Second of all, it's focusing on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it's focusing on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And you think about the Holy Spirit again. How many of us pray on a regular basis? Dear Holy Spirit. We talked about it in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And we, we even prayed a pr- couple prayers to the Holy Spirit. And we all agreed it's, it felt different. It felt a little bit strange because we wasn't saying our Father or we wasn't saying dear Jesus. But yet we, we prayed to the Holy Spirit and we prayed in the name of the Holy Spirit. And it worked. And we understand that it's about the good things that God is ready to give us when we ask him. And here he speaks of the Holy Spirit as being a gift. Now you go back to the passage that I read in in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16. Jesus says, man, I know that you're seeing this. You're seeing this as the worst case scenario. I've been with you for three and a half years. You have lived with me. You have walked with me. We have burped together after meals. We have traveled distances. We have gotten dirty together. We have, we have washed each other's feet. We have prayed together. We have become such a, com- a community of faith and belief that we can accomplish the world as 13 men on a mission. He said, but I'm telling you, this is not the worst case scenario. This is the best case scenario. I'm going to have to leave you. In other words, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to settle your sin debt. I'm going to take care of everything you cannot take care of yourself. Best case scenario is to let me go. The best case scenario is not to pull the sword and cut off the ear of the, of the soldier. The best case scenario is not to fight to get me off the cross. The best case scenario is not to pray for a legion of angels to come release me from, these, from the grips of death. The best case scenario is to listen to me when I say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what to do. The best case scenario is listen for me when I say it is finished. The best case scenario is I'm going to disappear after I come through the walls and after I see you in Galilee, after I show you my resurrected appearance. The best case scenario, I'm going to leave you. The best case scenario is the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and is going to power you for Christian living. The best case scenario is I'm going to leave you and I'm going to come back to live within you you. That's powerful. And that's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's God at work in the life of the believer. So when God gives us the Holy Spirit, first of all, I want to speak about what God gives us. When God gives us the Holy Spirit, God gives us himself. So when we're praying to the Holy Spirit, we're praying to God, the Father. We're praying to God, the Son. We're praying to God, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It is all God in one. The disciples understood this. They understood God himself. They knew from the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is the earthly manifestation of the presence of an eternal God. They knew that. They knew that the Holy Spirit does things that only God could do. 
They knew that he is God, even though they did not have the kind of Trinitarian understanding that we have today of God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They knew that when Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit given to mankind, that he was actually speaking of the internal God himself being given to man. So we, we, heard, we hear this, and, and we have heard this so often, that we, it, is, it is a wonder to us as well. And as the disciples were trying to wonder how to escape Jesus leaving, Jesus was saying, hang tight, guys. It is for your benefit that you receive this Holy Spirit. And yet the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God himself. So when you are empowered to walk through the threshold of difficulty, when you are empowered to speak in the name of Christ to someone who is lost, and that person responds in affirmative, and commits their life to Jesus. When you're up against a challenge and you don't know how to console someone in the midst of grief, or someone comes to you with questions and you help answer those questions, it is at that moment God is giving you himself to go through those experiences of everyday life. So the Holy Spirit of God is God himself transforming the spiritual stagnant DNA of who we are, becoming a vibrant DNA that guides us through all of living. So the disciples knew when Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, it had descended upon him like a dove. They knew that he credited the mighty deeds of his life to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So now he's indicating that that same privilege is going to be given to those disciples when he leaves them. And so it's understanding today, it's understanding for your life and mine that when we say, God, I need the fullness of your Holy Spirit today, we're saying, God, I need you, all of you within me. Second of all, when God gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us the understanding of the things of God. That's why we can stand on the brink of what looks like impossible as a people of faith. And we can see beyond that impossible. We can see God doing amazing things. We can see God doing what others are so limited in seeing. That's why we as a people of faith can see beyond what others can't see. Because we know that God is a God of the impossible. He makes all things possible. And he gives us that understanding of the things of God. So when the Holy Spirit is given to you, you have that understanding. To give this gift is to give the opportunity, now listen to this, to know the mind of God. To understand what God has given us is to know the mind of God. One pastor tells his story some years ago of one of the very useful and retired missionaries in his life had said to him, he said, young man, get to know the second chapter of the first Corinthians letter. It is the most important chapter of scripture for you as a pastor. 
this missionary said while said this to him while he's still training in sun, uh, in seminary and coming out and still trying to learn how to pastor the congregation. He's the reason this missionary commended this chapter so highly is that Paul indicates in that chapter of 2 Corinthians, I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he indicates that one comes to know the things of God only through the illumination of the Spirit of God. So if your mind is not on God, it's not because the Holy Spirit's mind is not on God. And so if you want your mind to be the mind of God, you've got to ask for God himself to come live within you so that your mind can see the things of God and know the mind of God. Now, what's the difference? You want to kill your son or you want to kill your daughter, not literally. You want to choke them. You want to do something to... Or you want to quit your job because it's not fair anymore. Or you want to really drive up to that person and ram them in the rear end because they almost pushed you off the road. Those are not the mind's thoughts of God. Those are not the things that God leads us to do. We're talking about the things that leads us into the kingdom work. We're talking about the things that helps us to, to, to keep our mind focused on Jesus. Sherry first said in Sunday school a few moments ago, we were talking about the second coming of Christ. It's not about the signs of the end times that we need to worry about. It's the focus on Jesus that we need to look at. And so the same thing happens when it comes to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's not what we do not have. It's what we ask to receive to have. And it's the understanding and the things of God. Number three, when God gives the Holy Spirit, he gives power for service. He gives power for service. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Could God give to mankind anything better? To know God personally, to know the things of God personally, to have the highest knowledge that mankind could ever have and attain in this life, and to have the power to accomplish his work. What better way to understand that in order to accomplish what you need to accomplish, you've got to ask him. There's many times in my life I'm just as fearful as anybody else. I don't want to do it because I'm fearful of it. But I know that I've got to do it because God's called me to do it. And I say, God, give me power. Give me substance today to be able to accomplish this thing that is before me. He gives power for service. Later, Jesus would say, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we see that recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 7. We see it when he commissions his disciples to go into all the world and to teach and to baptize in the name and under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson could face his enemies victoriously because he was full of the Holy Spirit. David could pen all those psalms because he was full of the Spirit. 
The prophets could bring the word of God to the people because they were full of the Spirit. This was the supernatural dimension into the lives of those who were full of the Spirit. This has become even more obvious all throughout the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's saying to disciples, for the asking, you can have the best, even the fullness of the Holy Spirit to power you for Christian living. And it is for your benefit that I leave you so that you can have the power for service of everyday life. Number four, when God gives the Holy Spirit, he bestows a fullness of life. Yet later, Jesus would say to his disciples in Jerusalem on that great day of feast, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and he will drink. He that believes on me, as the scriptures have says, out of the belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which those who believe on him should receive. For the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Could you find a better description of a full and meaningful life? Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I have come to give abundant life. I have come to give abundant living. And so at the same, we understand that the abundance to satisfy the thirst for life and the abundance to flow out and bless the lives of others. And we're not going to receive that unless we ask him. Would you not agree that this must be God's best? The gift of his Holy Spirit to the life of the believer for the fullness of of his spirit to be made alive and, and, and able and willing and powerful in and through your life and mine. The Holy Spirit is the best of two worlds, heaven and earth. God has nothing better but to give himself. And the Holy Spirit is the gift of himself to you and to me. This text may raise a question in some of our minds. Do not all Christians have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. The answer is without a doubt, the strong affirmative, yes. When you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life as Savior and Lord, does the Holy Spirit come to live within you? Absolutely, at the moment you make that confession. But this does not cancel out the statement of what Jesus says. Even though the Holy Spirit lives in your life, you do not experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit day by day unless you ask Him. It's though the Father says, okay, I'm going to deposit into your account, in your name, all the fullness that you will need for your lifetime. But there's one stipulation. You cannot draw out more than one day's that you need. You only can do it one day at a time. And you, you, the same is, is what the Holy Spirit is. He's given us the Holy Spirit for all eternity. But you've got to ask Him for the empowerment of everyday living. You must ask Him for it to be the continuous force in your life. You must receive that which you need for each and every day. The Father waits for you to ask Him in order for you and I to receive God's best. Some gifts will come without ever asking. But this one gift will only come from prayer and asking. 
So if you're going through life not full of the Spirit in your everyday life, it's not because God says, eh, you don't need it. It's because you haven't asked Him. You will receive that which you ask of Him. And if you say, Father, I need the fullness of your Holy Spirit in my life today, I promise you, it is not out of God's will to pray that prayer. He will grant to you that request. He wants that to be in, the, in that request in your life. Why? Because you will understand that it is God himself been given to you. You will understand a mind that has the mind state on the things of God. You will come to understand that it is the power for everyday living. You will understand that he is willing and ready and able and excited about giving you the fullness of that for everyday life, the Holy Spirit. God is ready to give. Are you ready to ask? Simple to it. Now, I could have asked that question a long time ago, and it may not have made as much sense. But the simplicity of that question is, God is ready to give, and are you ready to ask? Very simple. Ask Him what you need. Ask Him to meet what need is very present in your life right now. God's ready. He's ready to pour His blessing on you. He's ready to pour out His Spirit on you. He's ready to empower you. He's ready to increase your faith. He's ready to enable you. He's ready to, to give you a vision to see beyond the scope of the visible. He's ready to give to you what you ask Him. Father, we call upon you today and we ask a simple request. Will you give to all of us the fullness of your Holy Spirit? Will you give to us the fullness of who you are for our everyday life? Will you give to us those things that keep our minds steadfast on you. Will you give to us the, the, the faith to believe what you can do beyond what we can do? We ask of you, Father, today to give to us your precious Holy Spirit, the change within us and to retool us and to remotivate us and, and to, to guide us unto all truth, we ask of you, Father, to lead us away from sin unto righteousness. We ask of you, Father, to purify us for whom we are so that we can become whom we're designed to be. Father, we ask of these things. We knock, we knock loudly upon your door. We will continue to seek these things and we firmly believe we will find them as you grant to us the gift of the fullness of your Holy Spirit for everyday life. Thank you, Father, for listening to our request, and we're going to thank you beforehand for answering what we need. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.